Star Podcast. My name is Tom Savage. Hope you're doing well. Um, this podcast is going to be out before the Wally ratings here. And the reason why is I've got a lot of video editing work to do uh, on Monday and Tuesday. So um, I'll be able to do the Wally ratings in between those bits of rendering because I've got some interesting clips I want to show you. But um, a podcast I can't do in multiple segments while something is rendering. So I decided I'm just going to do it now. It is Sunday evening. I'm after four rewatches of this game. And on my fourth rewatch, one thing really stuck out to me. I was doing my TRK live stream earlier on today, TRK Radio. And um, somebody asked me about what the improvements were week to week, as in from the last match week, which was the Sharks, to this match week, which was um, just leagues better. What was it that improved so much in the interim? And the breakdown was a massive change. Like the week to week change on that. I'm talking about match week to match week. It's just <laughs> night and day, the physicality on both sides of the ball. Um, our physicality on the counter ruck here was actually very similar to what the Sharks did to us. We were a nightmare to play against, um, which is, you know, what you want from this group. But the biggest change for me came in the line out. It was a massive, massive change. Even last week against the Sharks, we were still at what we've been doing for a lot of the season, which is a lot of movement. Now, whether this came down to the calling or the, the strategy or the menu coming into the games, our lineup typically has had an awful lot of cutout movements, of uh, switches, of front bait to back bait, um, like very complex. Like we're trying to do a lot, and and that's been true all the way through the season. Um, it's incredibly complex for the hookers to hit, right? Um, there was a recent stat somewhere I saw about uh, Dermot Barron's accuracy rate um, for the lineout was seventy eight percent, which is well below what I would consider um, elite at this level. Um, that's ninety percent completion. Um, so when looking at this game back, the the first thing that stuck out to me because like I've, I'm going to write in the Wally ratings, I missed the first sixty minutes of this game live. Um, had a very very busy Saturday, and like when I finally got to see the last part of the game, um, I didn't really see elements of you know what I would then later see on the rewatch, which is how simple the lineout was, completely changed. Like last week, we were still doing those feints and cutouts, and that's easy for teams to get at. You know, like I know the Sharks compete a little bit differently at the lineout than the Stormers do, but the Stormers were still competing quite heavily here. We changed up a lot of our games, so there's just wasn't as much movement at all. We were just, you know, I, I think when you compare what we were doing, um, we decided that look, we're just going to play big at the lineout that's what we're going to do and with a 
I suppose a second row rotation like we had here and one of the best jumping back rows in the game a guy in Gavin Coombs who you know has half lock style tendencies we should have been doing that the entire time like when you have a guy like RG Snayman you don't need to over scheme for that guy like throw it up there he'll get it for you same with Peter Romani we were doing that really early on and with that lack of movement all of a sudden our mall was better like all of a sudden we were driving the stormers back in the mall and like with that certainty of position where we weren't sure on landing where our actual pod was going to be and and guys were able to just run from set positions to the mall set all of a sudden we've got momentum we're driving forward we're going through these teams like that's the sort of simplicity that i think in the last couple of weeks would have been first thing up on the fucking menu because like watching that game back against the sharks and like i'm writing this in the wally ratings the bits i've written so far because i've got my preamble done but looking at that game as much as i did that like that sharks game over the last you know the the previous two weeks you know the first thing i kind of thought watching it back i think it was the fourth or fifth time i was doing the breakdown run through i was like who is this team like who are these guys didn't recognize anything about that team like parts of it looked good parts of it were kind of stuff that i would have schemed before the game you know the shane daly try looking very much like that you know uh, try he scored against south africa a and parky cueve that was kind of stuff i'd I'd remember and 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 recognize and there was elements of that here as well actually by the way but the breakdown work the line out was just so overly complex and so contrived and like almost trying to over disguise certain aspects of it when you don't need to do that like throw the ball up for rg's name and he will get it for you you don't need to overly disguise what you're doing we had very simple pod structures we had omani at the front sometimes we'd have snayman at the front we would have clean as an option we would have coombs as an option and whoever we were throwing it to the lifters just activated so the lifters went to who was jumping rather than the jumper moving in and moving out and swapping positions and all this other stuff we played big in the line out and lo and behold we had a solid platform to play off we had a mall we could work with simplicity it's not always about making things simple but you go back and you look at um, paul o'connell's impact on the line out for ireland wasn't a whole lot of moving parts there basically simplified uh, simplified simplified a lot of what we were doing at test level which is put it up there for your jumpers we don't need to have a whole load of action on the ground before we even throw the ball in trying to throw off the markers we've got good jumpers use them back the hooker to make the throw and i think this is the thing when it comes to hookers and when it comes to line out schemes the more complex they are like people are talking about oh well like remembering your positions getting into your lift routes and stuff like that that's one thing the hooker is standing on the line the entire time all that's happening and the crowd run is back he's getting nervous he's got the ball hood over his head in a stress position he's got to hit that throw on that timing and like with the build we have here and i still think we can go bigger like when you're throwing to a smaller um group of line out players right the window at the top of the jump is smaller right like the thing is with peter romani he's such an explosive jumper and relatively light at that his window at the top of the jump is higher and longer than a lot of other players but with a guy like rg snayman 
he is long on the way up and long on the way down. So he is a bigger window to hit. And he can grab balls that other guys can't. So that's an easy guy for the hooker to throw to. Like you look at Devin Toner, part of the reason why he was so effective for so many years for Leinster is that's a massive target to throw to. And like, just imagine you're looking at uh, rectangles that are going up and going down in time. And you have to hit a target at the top of one of the rectangles. The bigger the rectangle, the longer the window, which means that it's easier for you to throw that ball and hit the window accurately. When you're dealing with a smaller rotation of jumpers, it's more difficult to hit that window consistently. And it's also easier for a team if they have bigger rectangles. Remember, you're just you're looking at this as a hooker would. When they have bigger targets to get there, they're dominating the window and it's harder for your hooker to throw there. So why are we making things quite complex there? We're, we're, we're trying to throw off where they're jumping. So they maybe don't know where the target is. What we said here is, is that, look, we will have set targets. Our lifters aren't moving. There's not a whole lot of movement we're doing here while we're standing on the line. We're, we're, we know what our throw is. We're going to go it on our trigger, and that's that. And it was so much more simple as a result. We were able to maul with far more simplicity. We were far more effective. And, like, it's not always the simple thing. Like, sometimes you need a bit of complexity. But I feel over the course of this season that our lineup was almost too complex. There was too much sway action. There was too many cutouts, which means that like our mall as a result wasn't as effective because guys are not entering with momentum, right? Biggest thing with the mall, and we saw it here, is that when you can attack the mall with more momentum than what the opposition are meeting you with, you will go forward. And once you're going forward, you can keep going forward quite easily. You will buy a few mall penalties. We had a few of them in this game. Like that's what you need to do. When Munster have been really good in the mall, like prior to this season like we were quite complex last year too but I, I still think our mall was better here it just felt that the mall was almost unconnected from the line out in a way and we used it to great effect here against a, a good mauling team in the Stormers um, we did really really well and used our assets that we have really well like Coombs did really well as a driver you had uh, Jean Klein as usual very good mall guy RG Snayman outstanding just really really good and when you have Peter Romani there as a guy he's a really good lifter and a really good wall player like as a guy who when he's down you know he's brought his his uh, jumper down he's very good at just getting a really tight angle in and just being very difficult to stop when he's drilling into you at that angle like he's a difficult guy to get a solid stop on because he's almost like chiseling through your defensive uh, your, your defensive wall would we back our line out guys to just go well look we'll make a simple call our li- our lifters will do it our lifters will do the majority of the work here regardless of who they are all of a sudden we look a hundred times better no coincidence and that seems to me to be a big change from the previous week where everything just seemed a little bit contrived with a simpler line out we had a, a far better platform to play off and we scored one really good try, actually two tries directly from, actually no, all four of our tries were directly from a mall platform. So that is no coincidence either. Like, And like with that as a platform, it's easier to score tries. The game at the moment, the mall is so overpowered. Like, I think it's something that they may look at going forward that they want, that they'll depower the mall a small little bit. Um, because at the moment, it feels like whenever you see somebody scoring three or four tries in a game, like my first thought is that's the hooker who scored those. 
and they've come at the back of them all. Like Munster did it here with uh, Dermot Barron scoring two tries. Like that is usually how those go down. And if you see Hooker scoring three or four tries, at least half of those are going to be um, malls or in the direct aftermath of malls. That feels to me like something that World Rugby will depower or try to depower because um, it just creates an incentive for slow rugby. And I like malls. You know I love malls. I just feel it's something that the World Rugby will look to try to lessen or clean up a little bit because at the moment it feels very difficult to defend them legally um, and because there's just so much leeway given with the first stop and you know the what counts as forward movement um, but yeah no look, I, I think that with Munster now in this game utilising the mall as a platform and as a, and as a starter for key attacking sequences all of a sudden we're more difficult to defend and that's something that I think in the last couple of, of months, I would say that teams have not worked us out, but it's we have kind of shown them similar pictures and sometimes being able to go direct through the mall creates opportunities that the phase play that you've been working on for the last number of months can now be a kind of, it's almost like a, an effect multiplier. So that in itself was, was fantastic to see and played a large part in Munster's really good start to the game. Now, when I was kind of doing my build up to this game I kind of figured that well we're going to try to roll across their defence there's gaps there for them and we want to try and attack their edge blitz we actually did that throughout the game uh, we got their, we got at their edge blitz but off the mall which was a kind of a wrinkle on what I was talking about but it's the same principle really where the Stormers they have to come up their system is all about attacking really hard up at the edge and looking to try and stop that ball in the layers now they got almost got an intercept try with Manny Libok, um, but the space that we opened was schemed. We knew what we were going for. That was just one of those moments where it didn't work out as planned. But I think looking at the, I suppose the the, the strength of what we're doing from an analytical perspective, we seem to be hitting teams in the way that I would expect us to, which doesn't mean I'm some fucking super genius, but like. I've been doing this a long time and when you look at certain like teams and you look at the way that Munster and the likes of Ireland and other teams have broken down big physical defences like the Stormers like so remember like, they were a very good defensive team as well um, I felt we went at it the right way we knew coming into the game that there was going to be a lot of folding behind the, the rock after their multi-man hits that was there all day you saw Calvin Nash make a good break you saw Conor Murray make a break for it as well um, we hurt them there and compressed them a little bit and once we started getting that we tried to go to the layers and Jack Crowley actually I think had a good game like watching it back there's a lot of he's keeping the defences very honest on the inside now I do think he was forcing a little bit as the game went on but I, I felt he actually played quite well given that he played the most intense part of the game which was you know, dealing with some of the fucking hits that were coming in from the likes of Ruhan Nell and Dan Duplessis, who were giving him real treatment. He took one shot off, um, I think it was Nell, who's a big mad, and he just kicked like, right back up and kept running. He was bouncing around all day, had some good moments, I feel. not He's not the full package yet, you know, I think that that will come because of games like this. But yeah, watching the game back, I was just like, you know what, I'm happy enough with that in the second half there was a few moments and this has happened a fair bit over the last couple of weeks um, 
when I'm speaking about the second half of the Scarlets game, the Glasgow game, the Sharks game, where it felt like our pod structure lost a bit of shape. Um, there was one moment in the second half, right before Jack was taken off, where he we had actually a four pod running off him, and it felt that Jeremy Lockman got in the way of the pass to, to Antoine Friche. We had our blockers ready on the outside and everything. It was a perfect scheme. Um, but it seemed to me watching it back that Lockman was slightly behind where he needed to be um, and as a result Crowley didn't make the pass because he didn't want to you know, th- throw it and knock it on by hitting it at Lockman um, and he ended up kind of scrambling and th- the play got confused and that's why I'm thinking he kind of forced it a small bit we still are not fully synced up with Jack Crowley as the guy going forward I, I don't think we have a guy right now. I, I do think it'll be Jack Crowley, but that's like you, you, you get to build on a scheme with a guy like that over the course of a season or two seasons as the guy. Like that's certainty. Like I don't think in a successful club that you have an active competition for 10. I think you have a 10 and that's who you build around and your attacking scheme rotates around what they're good at so guys get on his page he doesn't get on your page you get on his page and once you have that you can start getting in role twins for him guys who play a bit like him like a bit like Leinster have with Ross Byrne like Ross Byrne plays a lot like Sexton he isn't Sexton but he plays a lot like him Um, that sort of like you look at at Royce at at La Rochelle he's a a guy who's quite similar in in style to um, to Hastoy that makes sense for them so like when you look at where Munster at we haven't had that certainty for the last jeez God only knows like we're talking about going back to maybe 2016-2017 where we've had actual certainty maybe the first half of 2018-2019 where we all knew who the guy was in the aftermath of that you've had you know you had Ben Healy you had JJ Hanrahan you had guys floating in and out who were you know they had a bit of tenure there but they were never the guy I think and I hope what we're doing with Jack Crowley is we're building on him as the guy at 10 and, and around that you can start putting guys and putting players and and you know finding fits for him that, that augment what he does well and to get that guy in there at 23-24 is great because you can start to build with that guy and that's something I think that you know will like games like this will really help what helps Jack Crowley play very well what helps him be successful on the field how do we augment him what players do we bring in alongside him that will enhance what he does when you have that certainty I think all of a sudden you're able to play with far more fluidity you're able to play with far more like I said even certainty to go with the certainty of who that guy is and I think far more authority in your game plan because you know who's going to be running it and that's that. Like that's something that this season if we are now definitely in the Jack Crowley business which I feel we are then that will be useful I, I don't think he had a, a five star game in this game by any means but I liked what I saw from him with regards to the line breaks he was creating, the thought process he was going through. Like he was waiting right on the line to make his passes and looking to go deep into the layers because he wanted to buy a blitz on the outside. Like he wanted to see what they were doing. He was reading the defense as he was playing and looking to show them something different. So he would show them something, 
right? He would then show it to them again. And then he would show it to them again a third time, but then change it. So he was looking to try to, to, to you know, put a tempo and put a cadence onto the defence. And I, th- I thought did well without necessarily having a massive standout moment of, of creativity. That happened after he'd been off the field, actually, with Ben Healy. Came on and did really, really well. Um, you know, passed with real authority. Looked a bit like, you know, he kind of bit of Finn Russell on him when he was up in Scotland because he was... Um, looking to throw offloads, he was looking to kind of you know commit defenders and start throwing passes. The length of his of his kicking was outstanding, but his goal kicking for the conversions, my god, the one on Shane Daly's one, so cool, ridiculously cool. Waited for that clock to go down to four seconds, and then just ran at the ball, booted it, and ran off back upfield before it even went over the bar because he knew it was going over. Unbelievably cool from Ben Healy, really really good. And I think that, you know, his a bit like he's in, I think the tempo that was set when he came on, he was able to come on and make decisive improvements. Like he was able to come on and, and hit those passes to the edge. The tempo had already been set. He was able to do that. And it's not like I'm, I'm kind of, you know, praising Jack Crowley for Ben Healy having a good game. But like in a situation like that, if Ben Healy starts it, does he have that impact late in the game? If he plays the full 80, maybe not. But it was a great one-two punch and it won us the game. And I thought Ben Healy played fantastically well. And it's one of those performances where you're going, fuck, that guy's going to Edinburgh? Bollocks. Because, like, that was a sort of certainty and authority that he played with there, which, you know what, we offered him a contract for a reason because we wanted to keep that guy. And um, I think this performance showed his value and... I suppose playing with a renewed confidence when he came back from Scotland because he was he was attacking the line he was looking to try to impose himself physically that's kind of what you want to see from a guy like that very good performance um, but you can't talk about this game and good performances without talking about the pack um, last time out against the Sharks we were very poor like I said um, lost a lot of collisions um, both on ball and at the breakdown where we kind of looked like we didn't have anything for him. And when I was watching the game, like I said, I was like, who are these guys, you know? Like, because there, there was like Peter Romani, for example, had an incredibly forgettable game against the Sharks where he, it's not like he did nothing because he you know, won a few lineouts. He won a, a, a lineout against the throw and a couple of other moments, a few decent carries, but it was, a, it, you know, it was a nothing performance from him really, you know? And like on the big day, typically, like we we're like we're we're I'm used to Munster finding an excuse to lose over the last couple of years, um and I, I, like and I, I, like I'm gonna say it in the Wally ratings too like that's easy to happen right there's no such thing as inherent traits in any club or person you have to earn those labels of ruthless of a really good attacking team uh, or you know a tough side to beat or they're never beaten they'll always find a way to come back and win like you have to earn those like they don't they, like they just don't apply to you because you've got a red shirt on with a stag and three crowns on it like that's not how it works at all this is nothing new to anybody who knows what they're talking about but this is what I'm saying you have to earn those but you have to earn them on field over the last couple of seasons it feels that when the going has gotten really really tough for Munster that we've wilted and we've kind of shied away from the big moment and we've like I said found a way to lose we found a way to lose against the Sharks 
a couple of weeks ago we found a way to lose a way to, to lose early in the season we found a way to lose to Leinster in the Aviva Stadium we found a way and like especially away from home because like winning at home is easy you tend to get a few handier decisions winning away from home like, especially against a team like the Stormers who haven't lost at home for what is it 18 months like 18 months longer than that like last time they lost there was 2021 like that is like it's easy to find a way to lose and you could find a number of excuses to lose this game um, in Cape Town Stadium like D- or DHL Stadium you could find a ton of ways to lose absolutely you could but when I watched this game back almost from the off this team had no intention of doing that they came out and they played with real spite they played with real energy and personality the worst part about that opening 20 minutes against the the, the Sharks a few weeks ago was the fact that we were so passive and just had seemed to have the game happen to us here we went out from the kickoff and we're going well we're gonna fuck somebody up here we attacked that uh, that restart. We came right in over the breakdown. We were stressing them. We were making it difficult to play against. We were imposing ourselves physically. This is what you want. That's what you want from a monster team. And that's the sort of thing I'm talking about where I'm looking at that going back because remember, I didn't see this live. When I saw that back, I'm like, fuck, we weren't losing this game. Like, you look at, because again, look, you can play really well and lose, right? That, that happens a lot. But when monster lose as of late we just kind of play poorly or there's moments in the, in the game where you're just like well we fucked it there that's where we fucked it and like you could say there was elements of that here too and this is why it was so impressive because this season we've had really bad spells in the games we've lost and we haven't recovered like the end of the, like the last 20 minutes of this game we started coughing up a few mistakes and there was a few like pod alignment issues and you know, gave up a few daft penalties and, and all of a sudden the Stormers are right back in it. We went in at half time 12 all. We started that game like 12 nil more or less with just really accurate physical play. And like, I feel that like, like watch it again. Remember, I didn't see this live. I only saw this afterwards. When I saw us going in at 12-12, I knew we had won by that stage. But like, that's the sort of moment that you know, against the Sharks, we came out and we had nothing for them after halftime. It was different here. We were still under huge pressure, but we came up with the big moments that we needed to come up with. And like that comes down to guys like Jean Klain, Peter O'Mahony, Jeremy Lockman, Stephen Archer, RG Snayman, who played like an absolute fucking freak of nature. Gavin Coombs had a massive game as well. Dermot Barron, like the pack in general were outstanding, outstandingly good. And when you have guys like that who are performing, like if you've got a platform, if you've got a if you've got a fucking foothold in a fight, um, in this game with with your pack, you've got a shot, you've got a chance, and we have good halfbacks. Like Crowley's a good player, Murray's a good player, Casey's a good player. Who I felt should maybe got a little bit more time to be honest. I thought Murray was kind of flagging badly at the end, but you know that was a bit weird. But you know it, it worked out because Casey had a big part in the, in the winning try. I look at the. You know, the performance of the front row in particular, like Baron, Lockman and Archer for the majority of that game were right in there with a really big scrum. A really, de- like as in you look at Malherba, you look at Kitschoff, they got very little change out of Lockman and Archer. Very, very little change. Lockman in particular, I felt was incredibly impressive. Um, like I said earlier, like his trajectory for me has gone up and down, but this year 
physically he's looked right where he needs to be he had one slip in the scrum on the pitch by the way it was an absolute disgrace um, for a pro rugby game lads slipping and fucking sliding all over the place like just no good at all you know like it's just again look that's happened look and it's it's to do with the the climate I suppose as well but fuck it like that's the sort of pitch that guys get hurt on you know but like um, you look at Lockman the way he kind of dug in there on the, in, in the scrum beyond impressive because plenty fellas have gotten their fucking neck shoved out their arse by um, Franz Malherbe and I think Jeremy Lockman a few years ago would have been that guy but not here scrummaged really well really good like as in he wasn't looking to be overly fancy he just locked out his end because look, you, look, you look at the Stormers like they've got the size and power and the, the scrummaging kind of heft in particular to just run right over you they got one or two shoves on us but nothing desperate at all nothing that would cost us the game by any means a very impressive performance from them like I mentioned the line out Baron was really good there um, and Archer man 35 years of age the way he's put himself about um, he in this game and I suppose it last last time against the Sharks too his breakdown work was so aggressive so good the same as here like I haven't done a full breakdown run through yet but I've got a rough idea of what I saw and I saw a lot of fucking a lot of big entries from from Stephen Archer but there were so many from Clayne from Snayman Snayman by the way talk about him for a few minutes Archer was great 35 years of age playing really really well the scheme the, the scheme suits him down to the ground he did 80 minutes flying it I don't think he'll do 80 again next week I could see Knox starting well maybe I don't know who knows but Archer's playing really really well right now and um, has been the standout tight you know front row forward for us for the last while only surpassed maybe this week by Lockman um, but yeah very very good and all three of those guys played really well but uh, I'm going to talk about the second row for a bit because you look this season and I think that the one thing that Munster have lacked has been consistently fit second rows Witcherly came on and did really really well right but for me he's in that sort of half space where he is a half lock by size as I would define it and he played actually played really really well his breakdown work was really aggressive and stuff like that but like I was saying earlier the smaller you are and like I mean I'm talking about like your height wise and your wingspan right the shorter you are in this game the tougher the window is to hit you with right you've got to be a super explosive guy who can maybe even get a little bit of hang time there to get that ball consistently right so that always makes things a little bit more complex if you're not carrying top end size in the lineup it always makes it more complex it just does but it's also about carrying weight and 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 be able to project power right why do people want second rows who are above six foot six ideally at this stage above six foot seven who are well over you know 115 like 120 like is in as a baseline there's guys you can get away with who are under 120 slightly but they're all looking for them to be over 120 kgs why is that because guys who have that size and power they set a platform for you to play at the breakdown with their collisions in the scrum in the mall in the lineout as lifters because again a guy who's six foot eight his shoulders are at a certain height his arms are going to be a certain height when he gets full extension he's going to lift you higher than a guy who is six foot two like that's just like that's just a reality so when you look at why they want those guys who are supersized in the second row show them this game 
Show them what RG Snayman and Jean Klein did in this game for the first half and for up until Klein went off with a blood for a blood sub and then Snayman went off with a, a HIA. Now I'm not sure if he failed it, um, or if he or, or what his his status is for next week. I don't know what that is. We'll know that on Monday or Tuesday. But watch what they did here. Klein is an outstanding player, and I think that we've seen here over the last two weeks, like. Do you know, I think last time out against against Glasgow, like that was his first time starting with RG in a, in a game since actually his first time starting with him, right? Full stop. So like with that, Klain didn't didn't seem used to playing with a guy like that of of, of that size and power, and Klain had one of the worst games he's had for Munster in that game against the Sharks. Here, it's almost like he realized he doesn't have to do everything. Right, because you've got RG Snayman playing with you, and RG played like it was fucking 2019, 2020, and he was running around in Japan mugging lads off who are half his size. He is a monster. His offloading is again just otherworldly, kind of ET stuff. You look at his power, like his ability to put guys back to win. You know, one one man collisions against two defenders. You look at his um his breakdown work where he is fucking guys up on the ground. Like where he gets guys and he's pinning them. He brutalized them off the ruck. The dominant cleans I seen him in this game where he's coming in and just just rocking guys out of the way and just pinning them to the ground like they have nothing for him physically. That wins you games. That wins you games. His lineup work. I had expected and I had heard that look, geez, we're kinda of thinking if his if his knee isn't fully right, he might just become a sort of a Will Skelton type guy who is you know, we adds a few extra and because like, Snayman is playing a bit heavier, right? Than what he was when he joined. But that he would go a little bit heavier again and just not be a jumping lineout guy, where he's basically he's gonna be a, a super tall lifter and mauler and you know, he'll still have the he'll still have the, the offloading, the carrying. That was a theory or heard floated around. You never know how true these things are, but here he was competing in the air at the lineout. He was uh, he was jumping repeatedly for for Munster, winning, taking the ball there in the first in the first two minutes with one hand, just because again, the, the RG Snayman can do stuff like that. That's 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 just what he's capable of, and like that sort of of performance from a guy like that under big physical pressure because like the, the South African boys he was playing against here didn't give a fuck about him they were flying into him trying to get him riled did not happen um, and he is getting stuck in fellas in really relishing the physical battles as well but his breakdown work for me was very good combine that with his offloading his line at work his mall work added real push and impact to us there very exciting very very good uh, I love what I saw from him in this game um, but we can't talk about this game without talking about um, the treatment that Peter Romani got early in this game. I can't think of a worse strategy um, from the Stormers. I think that what they expected, they approached this game like a South African would, which is that's one of their top guys. We're going to rattle him. In theory, that's a good strategy, and it would be for most players, but not Peter Romani. If you want to take Peter Manny out of the game, you respect him until he until he likes you too much. 
<laughs> and he'll have a quite enough game. You notice the, 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 the Sharks didn't really have any back and forth with Peter Romani. There was no incident or flashpoint. And that's the thing. What, like when they did this early in the game where Marvin already comes over like a fucking like a tool and he did this he did this to I think it was Jamie Kearns as well the doctor where he's trying to like you know pushing him or whatever else just like sit down you bro like come on now he's putting his hand over Peter Manny's eyes like he's playing fucking peekaboo or something with your man on the ground and then again standing up and I'm like lads why are you riling him like I would rather if I'm a coach I would play against Placid quietly frustrated Peter Romani any day of the week he's a great player but he is not a guy who wins you games when he's in that sort of half in half out mood and the thing is we've all seen him play those games right where he's not the guy that he is for the vast majority of those Ireland appearances and like you know the big games from Munster that you remember where he shifts and turns games on, on, on his head the ones where he's average or below average are the ones where he's just not in, he's not engaged it happens look at like i i'd be the first to admit that it happens i would never if i'm coaching against peter romani be the guy who's thinking do you know what we're going to get in his face early make him mad we're going to get him we're going to make him angry this is going to help us win the game no this is not going to help you win the game what they did was is they brought Peter Manny into the game super early. He was already pumped coming into the game. You could tell from the start he was kind of getting right in there. Himself and RG were kind of getting, were kind of riling each other up. Won a, won a few big moments early on. But when they did that, like they lost the game because he was going to do the full 80 then. He did, he did, he did the full 80. He was at them all day when they, when they came at him and, and trying to like made it into a personal thing. Like, that's how you turn Peter Manny from being the guy who's a you know good player, good lineout guy, good guy in the white channels to the war god who you lose to, and that's the sort of 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 moment I think that we have a spark now. And when Peter Manny plays like that, like he did here, he's unplayable. I mean, as in like that's what separates him from most of the other flankers in Europe I would say certainly in Ireland is that when he's on like that he decides games he wins games right go back to how many times have you seen this like uh, the one the, the, the 2019 game against uh, the All Blacks right where he is the, the, he won the man of the match or player of the match whatever it was I think was it was it 2018 or 2019 one of those ones anyway um and he was just unbelievably good. Just showing up with big moments, big, break, big breakdown turnovers. It was 2018. It was the 2018 one because I remember Rory Best was there. Um, that's like that where he snatched that ball out of the air ahead of Ben Smith. Um, huge moments, right? Going up and getting the line out that led to Jacob Stockdale's try. All that stuff, right? That's when Peter Romani turns games on its head because he comes up with massive moments. He came up with huge moments here as well. Winning, you know, uh, I think he won a mall turnover on the ground on the try line. He won a few breakdown penalties. Like he was making big multiple actions on the fence, making the tackle, counter-rocking, jumping on the scrum half then after the ball is out, trying to get him like just being a nightmare to play against. When they got on his face and when they tried roughing him up, that's when they fucked it. I, again it was just it was it was bizarre because like when you see Peter Manny 
have those moments in games like that, he always produces. Always. They brought him into the game. Baffling. Because um, I know Marvin Ori and, uh, Ori and himself have history from back in the Ospreys. Um, where CJ was giving your man a bit of a dirt sandwich on the ground after Munster scored a bonus point try in the last minute. Um, but yeah, that was baffling. Baffling. They brought him into the game. And um, yeah, when you bring Peter Manny into the game like that, you probably aren't ready for it. And yeah, he had a massive game. And it's needed. Like I said before the game, like if Peter Manny ends up having a 50-point um, offensive rock work game, we win. And he did. Like I haven't tallied them, but I know he did. Right, because there was a ton of dominant cleans, a ton of of guard actions that were there. He's got fifty points. I would be shocked if he didn't. Um, but like you, you balance him then with Kendallin, who was running around like a cycle in the in in this game in the first twenty minutes. He's turning into a really interesting player. His physicality, and he's been working a lot with Dennis Leamy. The thing is, I put this to him on that interview a couple of weeks ago. Um. And I think as I knew though already that he had been working directly with Leamy because that was happening at the under 20s when he was in that under 20s thing, that championship over in Cardiff during, during I think it was during COVID, um, where Leamy took a real interest in him and uh, was working with him on one man cleans and being just a guy who facilitates with the sort of physicality that, that Alex Kendallin has. I mean, Kendallin is a guy who doesn't get the reputation because he hasn't got the, you know, the, the the flood of early Ireland caps of being the freak that he is. Like, he is, in theory, only in the second year of, it, uh, of his academy, right? Like, he's on a professional deal, obviously. But, like, as in, he was in secondary school at the start of last season. And he's playing against big, physical, bruising guys in, in, in the, the Stormers team and playing with ridiculous physicality, ridiculous aggression. And he's 22. Like, he is building some resume as a young player. And working with Leamy in particular seems to have given him this fucking mean streak. Um, And he's not a guy who gives any handy fucking ruck entries to anybody. He carries hard. He's building on his overall game as well, where... He's not just a kind of a small forward who will be the guy on the rip when the ball comes down from the from the top of the lineout. Like he he'll he'll do that and he's very good in that role. But his understanding of the game as well, like his his in his intellect as a, as a just as a forward, understanding where he needs to be, like putting his head in a breakdown, good technique there as well. Yeah, very, very interesting player. He's really developing because he's so young, like he's still about twenty two and he's performing at a very high level because like again I think it's with this game like Munster won it right Gavin Coombs fantastic try but not just a try he was really good all the way through as well impact tackles breakdown entries he should have had he had one breakdown steal should have had another one his mall work was really good that was a really complete game from, from Gavin Coombs as well just just to mention that um, but like I, I think looking at this win for Munster what it shows is is that we could have had every reason to lose this game but we instead did the opposite the biggest thing that this team have been missing is belief not just this season last season the season before you could tell in the big games we didn't believe and that was monster superpower for years we had unshakable belief that we would win and we didn't always win but when we did that was the 
the the the rock solid core of what that team was about that they believed that they would win there was no moment in those big games where you felt that that team were going to lose this and in this game Munster showed that belief and like you could say that this was just a league game I was speaking to a guy who was in the stadium and involved with Munster afterwards and he said that that was test match intensity and I watched it back it was the impacts of that first half were brutal brutal intensity but we stuck in there we didn't go away we were getting hammered at the start of that second half the stormers came out and they thought we're going to do a sharks here we're going to batter these guys and they'll go away we didn't go away we stayed right in there we rolled our luck at times you have to do that but we stuck it out we got the moments we needed we exited we went down the field and we scored that's the sort of belief that this team has multiple guys and and you know Caroline Currid have tried to work with this team where like last year for example the team collapsed after the Toulouse game we collapsed we had nothing left mentally emotionally shot you could tell looking at the guys in the field there was nothing at all left for them after the, the game against the Sharks that would have been a real worry with this group that that was such a disappointing loss that the rest of the season became a write off and there's nothing worse then if you're not ready and in the right headspace to be going back to South Africa to play the Stormers who haven't lost in the URC at home and there's a big crowd they're like there's a big crowd there in the day and the crowd are up and they've got their fucking World Cup winners they've lined out anybody they have fit and available they're going for the win they want to make a fucking statement on you and the thing is like they weren't there just to play ball like they were there to get fucking stuck in us as well physically because I think they would have looked at the Sharks game and gone if we rattle these guys like I said they'll bottle it and they'll fuck off we didn't bottle it we didn't fuck off so when I see that in this game even though it is a league game this was a hugely important game for this group they showed here that they have the bollocks to stick in on this game and not jack it in when it starts getting hard and then start throwing shots back as well that's what I loved about this game from the start Clayne was like a fucking titan Snayman was get, was throwing his weight around Coombs as well uh, Kendallin um, Omani they were getting stuck in on these guys and look there are areas where we aren't elite I think Fekatoa in this game was okay like he had a few decent moments here and there but like as in he's kind of half in half out it seems you know Frisch had a good moment a few good moments as well but like as in without a functional um, midfield around him I think he hasn't looked really good because Fekitoa hasn't looked good in, in kind but like I think that you know this team needed that physicality they needed that impact and they got it and like they, they rolled out the win when you saw Gavin Coombe score in that try 73rd minute like Casey came on with an immediate impact which you need him to but like that's the the kind of performance and the kind of win against a very credible opposition that we haven't had in a number of seasons like away from home like we've beaten the Stormers at home they were very good that day but we beat them but that's playing at home that's that's not it's not easy playing at home like there's pressure there too but playing away from home in rugby is always ridiculously ridiculously um, mo- harder so much harder there's nowhere harder to go in this league than South Africa 
and to play one of the big three. And the Lions are, are a good team and they played altitude, which is which is difficult. Like we really struggled there last season in the in the heat. We just had nothing for them in the end. But playing the Stormers, the Bulls and the Sharks in South Africa is as hard as it gets in this league, outside of maybe playing the Irish provinces in Ireland. So to take on the current URC champions and beat them in a game as physical as that and as intense as that, that to me says an awful lot about this group. And I'm going to show you a few bits and pieces in the Wally ratings that will be out at some point um, later uh, on Monday um, to show what I'm talking about. The line-out, the breakdown and some of the ways that we narrowed up our game a small bit to help us retain the ball and you know play a little bit more conservatively not massively so but get to where we needed to go to, to win the game for us so looking at the line out and our mall was going to be a big factor for me so that's going to be an interesting one um, but yeah look um, some of the other news that came out over the weekend was um, the um, Leinster announcing that they've signed Jacques Niedebar on a contract of undetermined length I'm not sure how long it is after the World Cup he'll be coming in midway through the season it is um, a very interesting move my first thoughts on it were that it doesn't necessarily make a whole ton of sense to me outside of the fact that he is one of the coaches or he is the head coach at the moment of one of the biggest you know biggest names in rugby the Springboks he has a World Cup winner's medal in his back pocket um, and he's a you know a guy who's a, a big name in the sport in Jacques Niedebar. Um or Nienaber. Like it makes sense if you consider that he's a big name and nobody could criticize you if it didn't work out because you went out and got one of the better guys in world rugby. A guy with a big name, like like again, he's coaching a spring box to a World Cup. They could win a World Cup this year. So he could be a World Cup winning head coach, who knows? Um but my initial thoughts on it were is that if they're replacing Lancaster, like there are a number of guys who I would have gone for who gives you the sort of all-encompassing thing. I mean, nobody realistically is going to replace everything that Lancaster brings. He was an inspired hire, you know, picked up when people were thinking he was a joke, like a PE teacher, right? He came in and he changed up. Um, a lot of what Leinster were doing and they've won so many league titles off the back of what he's done they've won a European Cup I think in his first full season in 2017-2018 so like the, the players he's brought through the young players that he's developed the style that he's imposed on Leinster all the way down to their structure there's no real replacing that guy because I think nobody has the sort of the coaching chops I suppose as in the literal coaching um, kind of IQ I suppose of, of Stuart Lancaster as a guy to develop players and develop talent and develop systems I look at Jacques Niedebar and I see a guy who was an outstanding defensive coach at Munster we wanted him as director of rugby in the aftermath of Razzie leaving we were making a big pitch to him to do just that um, because we wanted to continue the kick pressure game that we had developed under Razzie Erasmus and had been really successful for us we wanted a bit of you know stability we didn't get it he went with with Razzie um, and exercised his release clause then as well I was surprised because he had done that with Razzie that the IRFU have greenlit him being hired again but you know time moves on I suppose but like I looked at the Springboks over the last four years uh, since he has been head coach and I haven't been overtly enthralled by what they've done 
with regards to playing particularly interesting rugby or looking like a, a an overtly formidable opposition like they're incredibly physical but like I know Leinster have a big physical back as well um, but I wouldn't say that they're at the same level physically as what the Springboks have and I'm thinking if he's coming in to replace Lancaster I know Leinster have quite a, a, a segmented coaching setup where there's not like in Munster guys have a bit of a hand in every kind of coaching zone where in Leinster it's quite rigid according to what you hear so like if he's coming in I imagine he's going to be a defence specialist I think Lancaster does that as well but as head coach obviously you're going to want to put in your own vision there I don't think he's been signed as a defence coach like he will be working under um, Leo Cullen to a certain extent as in Leo Cullen will have a more overarching look at the game I would imagine because I don't see any situation where Jacques Nindabar would come in as almost like a jumped up assistant coach that would be just a really weird move for him um, but if that is the case look he's a very very good defensive coach but with that will come like there will be like he any coach worth their salt coming in will look to change things they will look to bring something of themselves there to that role otherwise like why would they not just hire somebody to just read out what Stuart Lancaster wrote down in the manual do you know like so that in itself is just a, a big name a, a, and, and a good coach a good guy a good motivator um, but I'm just looking at it and kind of going like fuck it I was expecting Dave Rennie to be honest I thought they'd get somebody like Dave Rennie I thought they might get somebody like uh, Clayton McMillan from or Milligan rather from um, the Chiefs Leon McDonald from the, the Blues I thought they'd make a kind of a go for a guy like that who can give you more of an overarching kind of on-field coaching strategy and kind of implement something a little bit more like offensively forward thinking I know they've got Andrew Goodman who's going to have a big role uh, going forward in, in, in the, the Leinster setup but I don't know like I just felt that you know with, with the announcement of Nidabar I was like fuck it the shock first of all because you know kind of came, came out of nowhere because I don't really hear shit from Leinster like I wouldn't really hear stuff on the grapevine from up there at all so it came as a big surprise on a Saturday before the game actually that that, that, that was announced because like I just look at what the Springboks have looked like under his coaching and I'm thinking that doesn't necessarily blow me away they're almost kind of playing a little bit below themselves really realistically speaking as world champions um, and I'm just it just felt the more I thought about it like as in just as a not a weird fit but like it didn't immediately jump out to me as kind of going oh fuck yeah I can see where that goes because like yeah he's he's South African you know but like as in he can't just teach you to be the same size as even Elizabeth like he can't turn you into Franz Malherbe or, you know, turn you into Malcolm Marx. Not that they need to with Dan Sheen, but, you know, you know what I mean? Like, as in, if you're not that, if you, if you don't have that physicality, you just don't have it. And Leinster really, like, they have a big physical pack, don't get me wrong, and they, 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 they play far more conservatively and directly than I think people would like to admit. They kick more too, but I just, like they've always had that level of sophistication with their overall structure and their overall scheme as well and I felt that while the South African like South Africa team under Ninabar understood the opposition's attacking scheme and were relatively decent at preventing them from executing it for the most part I felt their own offensive scheme with regards to and this was in a situation where they were without Andre Pollard for long stretches too 
and just did not look very competent from an offensive perspective. That won't happen to Leinster overnight, but that's why I felt that when they were going to make this hire, that it would be somebody like Leon Brown or Leon Brown or Lee McDonald or like a Tony Brown or somebody like that. I felt that it would be a guy who'd be more like that because it gives you more. Um, it gives you a guy who can come in and almost scheme around the lack of his Jonathan Sexton. So I, I just I, like again, look. I think it's a it's a good hire. It's a good, it's a good move. Nobody could ever say that it's a bad hire, but I just felt that maybe we'll just have to wait to see how the rubber hits the road. Nick, it just to me seemed a little bit, um, like good man, good coach, but to me didn't fit replacing what Lancaster brings, unless they're going to go a different way with Goodman taking on more. It again, it's just it, when you're replacing a guy like Lancaster, it is difficult. That's why when I was saw that announced, my first thoughts were just like very weird. Like I've just again a very unusual uh, uh, hire because it just came out of so out of, left, out of left field. Like I felt like I like Dave Rennie, you know, didn't have a great time at the at the at the, the Wallabies, but that's a good coach who's actually better working day to day, week to week with a club. And I felt that him coming in as as Leinster coach, I'd be like fuck, I'd be like shit. That'd be the way that I would that, that that would be the way that I would perceive it. Not in a sort of a oh yeah, good coach. I'd be just like, ah fuck. Because <laughs> I was I was hoping it would be Dave Rennie. So when I saw Jacques Nienabar, I was just like, fuck, Jacques, because again he used to be a monster coach. I was just like, well, fuck, you know. But then I was thinking, fuck, I'm not sure sh- like I, I couldn't really see the logic of it. Now look, maybe I'm proven wrong. Um, but I just felt that it just was a bit like almost like focus against something that they didn't that 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 didn't really need like if he's a defensive specialist which he is and like a good reader of the game which he is i don't know it just feels like it like if you're looking to replace lancaster like for like it is impossible but i thought you'd go for more kind of a more overarching strategy guy an on-field kind of you know coaching director almost rather than a you know a, a guy who's a unit specialist who's a good guy good organizer I just, you know, we'll wait and see what plays out. But my, they were my first thoughts on it anyway. Um, but yeah, look, um, big week coming up. Uh, we've got a good game coming up against the Sharks. I have got um, a special coming up on the Scrum in the gift room. I've got the Water Agents coming out, which will be out uh, later on Monday. And um, yeah, keep an eye out for AIL stuff as well. I've got some videos coming up there in the area you channel. Um, but yeah, look, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for being a Tier K subscriber. I'll talk to you again very, very soon.